Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. So this is how it ends. Put under by my own hand. So to speak. This could have gone a different way. Oh, but pride, ego, too much success. Losing only ever felt like another obstacle to vault over. Just an opportunity to rise up from the ashes again and again. Maybe I knew that this was where I was going to end up eventually. All roads pointing here. To the water. I've always hated the ocean. Maybe because I knew it would be the one to finish it. Leaving me so damn powerless. Despite everything I've accomplished, how hard I've trained, how great I've become. I heard Andrew Andre went out slow as well. I thought it was pretty funny at the time that there was some irony in it. A random thug and a well-timed pull of the trigger took down Neil Atlantis's best left him bleeding out and alone. That's hilarious to me. A joke that I guess it's come round full circle because we're all catching a case of that slow death. Where candles being snuffed out one after another. Dramatic to the last. Gotta wonder if the gentleman panicked when he saw death coming up on him. He was always so cool under pressure. Like he had the reaper on his quick call list. Maybe that's how you deal with it. When it's certain. When you know you're out of road to travel. You just embrace it. Like the phoenix must before it burst into fire and ash. So if I've gotta lose. I'm going to surrender under my own terms. I'll have Poseidon himself come up from the deep to claim me. Make damn sure that when he gets here, he'll find not the bloated corpse of some scared little girl, but the body of a queen, Ophelia with bloody hands, a machine of grace.
She watched the surface drift away, her body sinking into the ocean. There was peace in this moment, in this acceptance, and with it, an overwhelming need to be alone in these last moments. Unfettered from her killing tools, as she went to meet her end, raising her hand to activate her holocom's projection menu, she disengaged the critically damaged battlesuit and was immediately rewarded with a rush of relief. Derbybell just watched as each bit of the armor unclasped and floated away from her, piece by piece. Perhaps this wasn't such a bad death after all, she mused, before finally closing her eyes for what she imagined would be the last time. soft orange glow stirred her from what surely seemed to be an eternity spent within this watery void. In her haze, she expected to be greeted by the soft radiance that always pulsed from the nano-tattoo on her chest. The phoenix was ever persistent, even now. It wasn't the warmth of the firebird that had shook her from the water's embrace, though. Slowly, her muddled senses began to realize that the light that had disturbed her, that now flooded her world, was much brighter than that. Panic tore through her former resolve almost immediately. It set in tightly around strained lungs as she found herself at the mercy of an undercurrent that had become far too strong. And the lights? The lights were originating from the turbines. Massive rotating blades the size of entire buildings, covering the underbelly of Neo-Atlantis. They provided energy to the city in harmony with its sizable solar net. While every smuggler knew these hulks stood still below the damaged infrastructure of Arcadia, they continued to farm the current elsewhere in the city just as well as the day they'd been built. Hers was now a predicament to be sure. In what was surely a one in a thousand chance, Derby Bell had been pulled under the break wall instead of being carried up to meet it. In short order, she'd be fed to these giant machines and their insatiable appetites, churned out in a grisly mess. That harrowing realization turned panic into a fevered struggle, her survival instinct flaring alive to thrash against the inevitable, her breath becoming harder and harder to hold. the old android's words came back to her in this dire moment, though she was sure she now knew what they'd meant. At the time, her sword raised high for a killing strike, she'd assumed it to be nothing more than a malfunction, rambling nonsense spilling out from the machine in reaction to the stress of its incoming demise. She'd seen it before, but that wasn't it. He'd seen this. Somehow he'd known, 
It was almost inconceivable that Rivik might have chosen to guide her along a path to save her life in the future, even though she'd been on the verge of taking his. There was no more time to question or to reflect upon the impossibilities of a machine that had somehow prophesied this future. With a new resolve to survive this, Derby stopped struggling and turned her energy instead to an explosive thrust that rode the current towards the massive rotating blades, which, despite their capacity to be lethal, were not meant to be killing machines. Meeting the challenge with eyes open, she darted to the side as the first blade cleaved through the water beside her. This was impossible, she thought. Navigating this web was a power outside of even her formidable abilities. Still, somehow, she could almost see the area each blade would be moving through, like sonar if it were precognizant. The ocean itself felt like it was guiding her to swim through the whirling blades, each dodge easier than the first until she was weaving in and out of danger with effortless efficiency. Soon enough, and against all odds, she was rising through the turmoil and up into one of the many canals in Lower Magaris. several hotspots created by the Yakuza, a front to serve their varied public interest throughout Neo-Atlantis, cesspools of gambling and debauchery. This place in particular saw much of its traffic from the surrounding French quarter of the Arcadian district. The French have always been uncustomary bedfellows with the crime syndicate in this city, at least as far back as anyone I've ever questioned can recall. It is... Not without its risk, being here. The Yakuza traditionally reserved little love for my people, for the Mur. Perhaps even less for the authority. That is, of course, only where the coming complications of the evening begin. This place is not unknown to me, and to be direct, the times I have known it haven't been pleasant ones. I will find no friends within these walls. Mm, hey, how's it a dance? Might be your lucky night, Fishman. If only. I'm here on business, I'm afraid. Another time. Oh, Badge. Well, you're lost, Detective. Perhaps I was unfair in claiming that I have no friends here. The Yakuza haven't been the only ones to have found the inhabitants of this neighborhood to be accommodating. I've personally found them to be more accepting, less judgmental than other human communities. Perhaps this is a side effect to being close neighbors with one of the largest murk conclaves in the city. This relationship is, however, irrelevant to the current case. A distractionary thought. To say that I've been haunted is perhaps an understatement. I became a detective more specifically a finder of lost children, as a direct response to losing her. Indeed, for the last five years since I'd given up, I'd... I had thought it might be my only unsolved case, despite how personal it was to me. I moved on. Too many dead ends. 
dedicated my efforts instead to ensuring that others might receive the closure that I never had. I've never stopped to consider whether it's an act of therapy or a sense of justice that drives what I do. I am not certain I wish to know that answer. I am sure, though, that it was never about her. Not directly. It is and has always been about how I failed her as a friend. Outsiders might find the concept of friendship to be somewhat flexible. This is not so within the conclaves. To the Myrrh, a bond like that runs as deep, if not deeper than blood. It becomes a matter of spirit, of souls. When we accept another into our lives, they become a part of not only our identity, but our very being. We share something that is difficult to explain to those who are not Myrrh. As could be surmised, to lose a friend is to lose a part of oneself. Ordinarily, it is a difficult grieving process to be sure, but one that is surmountable in most cases. This was not the case for me. I was not permitted a chance to come to terms. Every question was met with more questions. My memories on it are fragmented, obscured when all else is clear. I cannot get through the mist, and I found that the more I try, the more damage I visit to. Even unrelated long-term memories. Feedback, I call it. What I know is that when Alex vanished, I became obsessed with the inconsistencies. The facts that didn't add up. I cannot recall exactly what transpired, but I know that I got close once, and that I bear the marks of my transgressions. In this case, these marks are not merely psychological scars, but rather physical ones as well. Surgical, to be more precise. Waylon continued to slide through the crowd, careful to make as little contact with its patrons as possible. He needed to keep his mind clear. He couldn't help as his hand drifted over the back of his head in response to the heavy thoughts he'd been entertaining, over smooth amphibious skin that bore only the slightest physical trace of the procedure that took his memories from him. Neo-Atlantis was a place full of both wonder and terror. In this place, fact was often truly stranger than fiction. In this instance, for example, the same genetic tampering that had brought his people into existence would eventually become the key Kraken had needed to unlock the full potential of the human mind. Even though augmenting oneself to possess gifts of psionic marvel had become a quick, though expensive, commercial transaction, the technology that brought such advancement was still only about 20 years young. That fact led to one of his sole remaining leads before he'd closed the case on Alex Webb. That whomever had done this to him had A. 
wanted to keep him alive for some reason, and B. possessed the financial power and knowledge to have funded a cutting-edge procedure that had stripped nearly every memory surrounding the disappearance of a seemingly inconsequential street girl. It had never added up, but it was unraveling now. Well, if it isn't Detective Wayland Grant, a shame these visits are always so short. You have been warned that you are unwelcome here. Hamari, bouncer and bodyguard. His sudden arrival in the crowd made it clear that my presence hadn't gone unnoticed. Unfortunate, if not unexpected. On any other day, it might have been prudent to heed this man's not-so-subtle advice. To understand that the Wakagashira did not want to be inconvenienced with keeping face to a barely respected enemy right now. This is not, however, any other day. It was obvious that he hadn't expected me to be so bold as to move past him without a word. I had always been the type to respect the rules of the house. Truthfully, it was unhealthy to do otherwise, even for a protected man such as myself. Fortunately, I didn't need any direction to find who it was that I was here for. Most club owners as a rule behave the way you might expect them to act. That being similar to every entertainment stream created within the last two centuries. Shady operators in smoky back rooms, walled off by one-way mirrors, or perhaps roosting on exclusive executive mezzanines overlooking their empire. Lin Fang Min was the daughter of one of the old triad bosses. That is, of course, before the organization made its peace with the Yakuza. This was around the same time the Korean moto gangs were absorbed as well. In Neo-Atlantis, a more adaptive version of the Yakuza knew that an alliance with its bitter eastern rivals was perhaps the best path to securing a seat at the table. They weren't wrong. I mention this only to highlight that it is my belief that even despite her roots in leadership, Lin would have risen to power within the Syndicate. She was the sort that could not be denied. As expected, it isn't long before I spot her behind the bar, in the thick of it with her workers. I am reminded that Miss Feng Mien might easily be mistaken as beautiful at first glance. An easy, clumsy error to make. She was a predator. Her eyes, containing a ruthless yet playful cruelty just below the surface. Her seemingly gentle demeanor is nothing more than a cunning ploy, put on and worn like any other accessory might be. She stands amidst her bar staff while they efficiently serve the club's many drunken patrons, unerringly as if they followed the practice steps of a well-choreographed dance routine. Note, holographic displays of jade-colored blossoms and leaves falling around us in perhaps the only forest one might hope to experience without access to a growery or pleasure garden. The imagery becomes stronger, more vibrant the closer one gets to the bar itself. A pleasant and no doubt expensive addition since the last time I visited the club. There is unfortunately no time to appreciate my surroundings. The spurned bouncer approaches. Lin Fang Min! 
this is unexpected. It has been some time, hasn't it, Waylon? If I recall, that was the agreement we'd come to. I wouldn't be here if it weren't important. My apologies, Wakakashira. He got past me. We will speak later on that. Now, what is this about? Hopefully, you're not here to shoot anyone this time. That was a regrettable turn of events, although to be fair, your people shot first. I have questions regarding the disappearance of Alex Webb. Oh? Should I know that name? It would perhaps be best if this business was conducted somewhere more private. I'm afraid you've come to the wrong place, detective. You barge into my club with the man seeping from your lips. This was a presumptive and foolish move. Surely, you understand that your badge and subsequent deputization is a gift from our allies and has no authority here. Please, allow Amari to show you out. Firm hands seize me by my arm. This line of questioning, it ended the way I'd expected it to. Suddenly, and with an unspoken promise of a lesson to come. It should be obvious to any detective worth his salt that you cannot simply walk into an enemy's den, flash an ornamental badge and demand answers from one of a faction's most powerful representatives. Not without it going the way that it had. My exit at Amari's hands was expedient to be sure. Brushing me roughly from the eyes of his superior, his shame guiding us off the floor and through the back corridors of the building with ever-increasing hostility. I could feel his intent. This man wanted to hurt me for what I'd done to him, for ignoring his warning and costing him face. Truth be told, I was counting on exactly that. Though admittedly, it was not something I was looking forward to. <laughs> If this is the point where you hit me so as to ensure I do not repeat my mistake, I assure you that... It was a familiar pain, one that sometimes came with the job of detective work, and asking too many uncomfortable questions. It wasn't a surprise to Amari that the Mur tried to struggle, grabbing at the bouncer's collar with scrambling hands. It had. Of course, all been by design. The frantic defense only a cover as Wayland concentrated on the task at hand. That primarily being the premeditated theft of Amari's most recent memories. The heist was not unlike sifting through murky water for diamonds. Security procedures, combinations, passcodes, the beating he was receiving, the brief physical contact it provided left precious little time with which to work his gifts on one of Lin Feng Mian's closest lieutenants. Still, by the time Omari had finished with him, dropping the Mur's bruised body down on the metal grating of the club's back alley, he had all the information needed for a more thorough after-hours return to Club Jade. Slowly, making his way back to his knees, the detective touched shaking hands to his split lip. Without a doubt, any return visit to this place would require an expert, someone who could handle themselves. Fortunately, Wayland Grant knew just where to find one.
You've been listening to Cybernautica Undertow, brought to you by Red Fathom Entertainment. This episode features the voice talents of Luke Alfonso as Waylon Grant, Bianca Skinner as Derby Bell, Molly Zhang as Lin Feng Mian, Dan Baud as the narrator. Voice extras included in the show notes. Undertow is directed by Amanda Hufford, written by Damian Sidlow, sound design by Chris Henry, with script editing by Jupiter Sanders. A special thank you to all of our incredible Patreon and Indiegogo backers who contributed funding to make this return to Neo-Atlantis possible. If you'd like to support Red Fathom Entertainment in continuing to create Cybernautica and other great audio drama stories, please stop by our website at www.cybernauticapod.com and find any number of ways to support the show as well as follow us on Twitter at CybernauticaPod. We hope to see you again in Neo-Atlantis, listener. Look to the sea. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Where am I? Welcome to Desert Skies, Traveler. Your journey through the physical plane has come to an end. I am the attendant. My colleague here is the mechanic. Yo! This is your last stop on your way to the great beyond. It's our job to make sure you're prepared for the ride. Now... Before hitting the road, we have an impressive selection of over 34 varieties of microwavable burritos. Um, what, what, what's going on? There's gotta be a better afterlife than this. I mean, come on! Uh, that's offensive. Something seems to be wrong with me. You left something major undone. I have a life outside of this gas station, you know. You quite literally do not. Any hobbies? Nope. Ever travel? Nope. Love interest? Are you kidding? Oh my god. You're like the human version of a plain bagel. Cash register. How can I help you, attendant? Play some music? You got it. It's kind of funny, though. What I needed wasn't back there. It was here, waiting for me. I wonder what it feels like, Mac, to miss the physical plane, the people you left behind. You know, I had a wife who died three years ago. Wish I could go back. No, you don't need to go back. You just need to be here. And a new traveler approaches. Ready, team? Ready. Good. Let's do this. Find Desert Skies wherever you listen to podcasts.